A moment of business before we get into today's show. Surf Splendor is completely free, but you can support the show, and we need your support to help grow the show organically. Do so by sharing the show with a friend. Tell them verbally, send them a link to our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, or promote it via social media where you can find us, at Surf Splendor. Thanks in advance, and enjoy today's show. Hey, Surf Splendor listeners, welcome to the show. This is your host, David Scales. Thrilled to have you. Um, I've got a really extended, kind of supersized show of surf news for you today with Scott Bass. Um, So excited to present that to you. Um, I've gotten a lot of emails recently from new listeners, so I'm thrilled that we've got new people listening. Um, That means that my plea for you to share this show with a friend has been working and the show is growing, so please continue to do so. Um, If you listen in iTunes, leave a review for us and uh, rate the show there. I noticed we had like 13 ratings or so and and it's been that way for like a month. I think we haven't really had any new ratings or reviews for a month, but I'd like to see some new ones on there just because it helps other people find the show and... um, and obviously lets them know what the show's about before they download it. So um, do that for me if you listen in iTunes. Um, and then also, you can listen to past episodes there. We archive everything on our website, but also on iTunes. So if you are new to the show, we've got a recent episode with Sean Thompson. We've got episodes with Chris Cote about the fallout of Transworld Surf. We've got... Um, an episode with Eric Arakawa, Tom Parrish, Robert August, all sorts of stuff. So go back through the archives and it's all free. Check it out. Um, I think that's kind of it in terms of business. We still have the internship available. I actually have gotten a lot of, um, or a few um, emails and resumes and you guys, you're all on file. I will definitely get back to you, but um, but feel free for anybody else to send in your resume if you'd like to be an associate producer intern with Surf Splendor. And um, I think that's it. Follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. And I will lead into the show with Scott Bass and be back at the end to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. It is uh, good to be back on the air. Scott Bass with you, along with David Lee Scales of SurfSplendorPodcast.com. And we've got a what we believe to be an action-packed show, but really, time will tell, right? I'm psyching. <laughs> it's been too long. I feel like it's been two or three weeks, so it's good to be back together. Back yeah. in the home studio, too. Yes, that's right. I'm glad you brought that up because we are broadcasting from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in beautiful uptown San Clemente. And uh, the good people here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center allow us to use their studio. And um, and we thank them for that. And if you get a chance, check out surfingheritage.org. This is where we are. And they've got a wonderful museum and cultural center here. And uh, we're stoked. Amazing archive of surfboards and um, print media and all sorts of stuff. So huge resource for the surfing community. 
It really is. Um, let's see, where do we start? First, David. Dude, yeah, we got to catch up on stuff. It's been too long. All right, let me say this. Yes. Um, for those of you who are first time viewers or listeners, I should oh, say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, my name's Scott Bass. It's November 21st, 2013. I'm the former online editor at Surfer Magazine and have um, put some time in the water and our and co host. I'm yeah, I'm David uh, David Scales. I have a separate podcast called Surf Splendor. It's, um, the website is surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can find it on iTunes. And um, on, on that, we basically interview industry people, professional surfers. The last episode was a tribute episode to Buttons, um, interviewing some of his friends. The one prior to that was Sean Thompson. I actually just interviewed Rich Harbor this week, and so that'll go up on Monday. And then um, in our off weeks, try to get together with Scott and do this surf news style episode. Yeah, and for it's sure. it's um, my surf news episodes have actually been getting more downloads than some of the other episodes. So I think that it's going really well. I've gotten some good feedback and emails and stuff. Yeah. Um, before we get into that feedback and emails, I think two podcasts ago. The best song ever. You introduced me to the Almond Brothers Blue Sky. Yes. I've added it to my catalog and been listening to it ever since. It's fantastic. Well, I'm stoked to hear that, my friend. Uh, Dude, and I love you. are just getting started with the Almond Brothers. Uh, we have so much for you to dive into. I'm afraid. I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to give you an assignment. Okay. I'll take it. There's a song called In Memory of Elizabeth Reed. That's the next one I want you to, to listen to if you get okay. a chance. In Memory of Elizabeth Reed, the Almond Brothers. I'll check it out. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Almond Brothers anyways, but that um, that song in particular I hadn't heard before for some reason. hadn't come across it, but really good. It's such a good jam. And then the other thing was, maybe it was in that episode, um, Must See Moment, I mentioned Clark Little's episode of High Shreddability. Yes. Since then, they just posted a new one with John John Florence. That is fantastic. And High Shreddability, where do you find that? Yeah. Is that, um... Vice. Vice, that's right. Vice.com um, puts those together, but it doesn't even show John John Florence surfing, I don't think. It's just like walking around on the North Shore with him, um, a little tour through a new house that he just bought, you know, cool. moving out of the mom's house. So really just a cool insight into his life. So definitely check that out. I want to check that out. And in relation to John, John, have you seen his Wave of the Winter entries and on Surfline? Um, I just saw the... I've, yes, I did see John John's. At I saw John, Yeah, I saw John John's. Yeah. How nuts are those yeah. things, dude? Yeah, those Wave of the Winters are actually really cool. I, I, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. So yeah, I Surfline always, does a good job with that. They do. And I, I always have enjoyed them in the past. And it's generally at Pipeline or Off the Wall or somewhere. And maybe this year there'll be that too, I'm sure. But I just like these entries because they were so different. The waves, Pupakea, it's just not easy to surf. Yeah. And it's not necessarily treacherous, but it's such a hard barrel to ride. And yeah. it's and it's massive. And the way that John John does it is just like buttery smooth. Gets super shacked, blown out with tons of spit. It yeah. looks it's super rad. And yeah. he got he got like five or six A plus barrels in that session. So I think they entered two or three of them into the wave of the winter. So all from the same session. Kid's gnarly. He is. He's he's an incredible surfer, and there's more to come with him, isn't there? No question. Um, emails. I got this one. I got the same one you got that I thought I would read because it's, uh, it's from a Canadian surf fan. He says, Scott and Dave, I'm a starved Canadian surf fan, always looking for new ways 
to follow the sport, especially as we hit the winter up here. I did a Google search for podcasts and came across Surf Splendor. I'm very glad I did. I drive a lot for work, so in four days I've listened to and downloaded most of them. I just downloaded some of Scott's Down the Line stuff, and I'll be checking out that later as well. I really enjoy your interaction on the Surf Splendor stuff. Thanks for the great job from your new fan in Ontario, Canada, and that comes from Richard Harris. Crazy, right, to get emails from around the world? Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's really a cool thing. I've gotten some thing. from Canada, New Zealand, um, all over the place. But did you have a second email? or Because I have... No, no, Something. go ahead. Okay. I, I'm done with my emails. That's the only one I wanted to read. So Richard, the same guy actually, emailed me a couple days after he sent that to both of us. And he said, um, hey, Dave, I watched the round of 62 at the Reef Pro on Saturday. There was a bunch of interference calls. Could you please explain how you get pri priority on a wave and or what constitutes interference? Not many problems with interference up here in our empty Great Lake lineups. Thanks, Richard. Um Okay, so you want to get right into it. I think, Interference yeah. rule. Yeah, I Priority think so. Priority rule. I think it's worth discussing. Sure. Um, straight out of the ASP rulebook, Chapter 8, Article 123.03 says, they have a bunch of different um, uh, articles about interference based on if it's a point break, a beach break, whatever. This is in reference to a reef break without a defined peak. And it says... Um, or I'm sorry, it's, a, it's about a reef break, but it says, if there is a single well-defined peak with both right and left and a right available, with both the left and a right available, at the initial point of takeoff and neither the right or left can be deemed superior, then the right of way will go to the first competitor who makes a definitive turn in their chosen direction. A second competitor may go in the opposite direction on the same wave without incurring a penalty, providing they do not interfere with the first competitor who has established the right of way. So the interference rule, I think if you surf regularly and you've been in a lot of paddle battles with random strangers, it makes a lot more sense to you. It also makes more sense if you're surfing a really well-defined peak. And you could think of that as being the shape of a triangle, you know, or a mountain and the wave is breaking at the top first and whoever's closest to the top or the center of that peak has priority and they can choose their right of way. It becomes a lot more complicated when a wave um, isn't that defined, which we were seeing at the Reef Hawaii Pro at Haleiwa on the small days especially where it's kind of a spread out long takeoff zone, possibly left, possibly right. What I think the problem was there was that there were wedgie rights that would go fat and flat and kind of shoulder out. The left was like a runner. So you'd get guys trying to take off on the right, on what looks like the right, and slingshot across the left because it has more wall on it. Yeah. And I also feel like the camera angle doesn't really, it's tight and it doesn't really allow you to see what's happening down the line. So for somebody like Richard, who's inquiring about this question because he's watching the webcast, it's hard to really get a feel for who's in the right, who's in the wrong, and really um, and really understand the full situation. I was watching some heats on demand and I saw two situations that looked almost identical, but they were called oppositely. So um, I'll try to make it clear and just reference those real quick. In the round of 64 that Richard was talking about, heat five, John John Florence got an interference 
and he was he whipped around to go on a little right and like i said uh it looked like that was going to shoulder off um somebody else dale staples i think from south africa was outside of john john but making a move for the left so they were both kind of going wanting to go opposite directions from opposite sides the left looked like a better wave so the judge they both stood up at the same time the judges deemed John John would get an interference. Dale Staples would get priority because even though they stood up at the same time, the left looked better. A couple heats later, Yaden Nickel was in John John's position against Kai Barger wanting to go right, and they called the interference on Kai Barger, gave the nod to, to Yaden. Exact same situation almost. They both stood up at the same time, but really in that situation, it just looked like the right was probably better than the left was, like the left was going to close out. So if you're viewing it as Richard was, those look like identical situations, you know, and the only difference I think there was just that the left was better in one situation and the right was better in another. That's it, huh? Scoring potential, what the wave offers for scoring potential. It's hard to look at the rule book and to tease apart all those details on paper. You really have to just set a guideline and then make a judgment call in each scenario, you yeah. know? And unfortunately when the waves are small and inconsistent, there's going to be tangle ups. I think the other thing to keep in mind too, is that John, John Florence, there's times where it's just worth going and risking the interference because you need the score and you would lose anyways, and just hope that Dale Staples backs off, you know? So we, we start to see a lot of those tactics come into play as well. Tactics. Tactics. Love tactics. And so. um, I'm a big fan of of tactics and defense. And, and I'm a big fan of... You know, you earlier, in the, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned um, something like, if you surf every day, then you understand sort of the strategies of paddling in crowds and dealing with crowds and catching waves. So what you are doing then is you are saying, that's part of surfing. That Correct. is part of what we do as surfers, as we hassle each other, for lack of a better phrase, just totally. for, the, for the sake of this argument. Yeah. So my whole thing is, I, I think, first of all, look, we're talking about it. It gets people talking. I think that, that defense in our sport is a good thing, and it's something that should be nurtured. And at the very least, we should think about the possibility of amending the priority rule in some instances, depending on the spot. Yeah. And... Um, I think I sent you my notes on it, but yeah, basically, I'll, I'll try to compartmentalize. Yeah, it go here. ahead. Um, again, I like defense; it creates conflict, and this is good for spectators. So I'm suggesting that we, at certain locations, either lose the priority rule altogether or amend it slightly. And there are certain spots, David, um, that are soft, and for the spectators. The more conflict, the better. We need conflict. We need resolution. This is what makes sport great. Sure. Beach breaks are a great example of that. My feeling is that any beach break, we should just lift the priority rule. Let them paddle around. There's peaks up and down the beach. They got plenty of opportunity to surf by themselves. And it makes it more interesting for the spectators. It gives the webcast broadcasters something to discuss. Almost every beach break, um, we should probably eliminate the priority rule. Trestles. I'm thinking... No priority or an amended priority where we lift the priority rule five minutes with five minutes remaining in the heat. Okay. So you have the priority rule. Five minutes left, it's gangbusters. Think about what that means to the competitors, what it means to the spectators. It makes it fun. Yeah. Um, other spots, 
obviously create their own conflict just by their nature. Chopu, um, cloud break, these are waves that not only are they vicious and can and can kill you and the drama is in the wave itself and the way it breaks and the power that it breaks, but it also, it's not gonna lend itself or it does lend itself to a priority rule because we don't want to push people up the reef and just not have the waves be made. Right. And so I recognize that. And so there are certain spots where the priority rule is important. You know, we want guys riding yeah. waves. We want guys, um, you know, doing what they can do on the wave and not being inhibited by by a walled off wave because they got pushed too far up the reef. Let me ask you this. Um, you said throw it out completely at beach breaks. Let's just choose Huntington Beach as an example. All right. So can guys just burn each other then? No, no. Okay, no, no burning. So, okay, so you where burn, you get an interference. Okay, so there's an interference. Yeah, rule. there's full on interference. Got it. But no there's priority. Just no priority. Yeah. So just like when you and I surf, and the listeners out there right now surf every single day. Yeah. And oh by the way, we seem to do good. We seem to catch our waves, and we're not hindered by, you know, because because the argument is. Oh, we just want really good surfing. We don't want hassling. Right. Well, you get really good surfing every day when you go down to the beach and watch, and there's hassling all day long. Go to Pipeline right now. They're hassling the crap out of each other, and you're seeing really great surfing. Yeah. There's going to be little situations of, like, back paddling. Good. And things That's like what that. we want. Well, but then you have to decide, okay, um, surfer A was paddling for a longer distance from outside to catch this set. Yeah. Surfer B spun around at the last minute, actually stood up second. Yes. But they're closer to the peak. He back paddled or whatever. Yes. Good. So we get who, to decide but, that. Yeah. The judges. So who's, the who judges. Yeah. The judges decide that. Okay. Just like they do now. But don't they need rules on paper? Sure. Okay. It just makes it a lot more fun okay. for you <laughs> and I. But they're going to have rules. They're going to have all this stuff. But I'm just telling you that it's going to make for a better... More conflict, drama. Yeah. That's what makes great story and makes great sport. And oh, by the way, all good sports have defenders. Yeah. And if you don't have a defender, it's been argued that it's not even a sport. It's rather an athletic endeavor. That's a good point. I like it. Dude, last year in, I was in Hawaii and I was surfing with a good buddy. And the waves are kind of hard to come by in this session. And I was getting super frustrated and a perfect one came to me. I was right in the spot. We had a little paddle battle. I, I was deeper. He still burned me and I ended up kicking out um, with a lot of frustration. And we argued about it. We exchanged words. It was a quiet car ride home. <laughs> and then we were, and then we were watching them. And then we never really resolved it until that night. The Margaret River contest was on and we were watching it late at night, like drinking beer. And the exact same situation happened with Adam Melling and somebody else. And the judges sided with me, essentially, and gave the other guy the interference. And I was like, I told you. That resolves our argument, you know? And then there was like... The resentment was gone. Yeah, we squashed it right there. Oh, okay. It was like we couldn't agree See until the I mean? judges settled it for us. It happens every day. And totally. it's part of our life experience in the water. And I, I don't know that we um, necessarily need to wash that away from what surfing is. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Now, of course, the big argument, as I mentioned, is, and especially the surfers, and especially the pro surfers, there's hardly any pro surfers that will side with us on this, or side with me, and yeah, yeah. if you agree, great. But, um, and that's because, you know, their thing is, look, we just want to surf, we don't want to, and my thing is, well, like I just said, you know, this is part of our life experience, and this is part of surfing, and you're going to get great waves, you do every day, Yeah. you know, the only time you get priority is when you put on a jersey and you're in an ASP contest, or whatever. Other than that, it's you know part of what surfing is is who can catch the wave who has 
the mojo, the moxie, the better ability to judge and be where they need to be and yeah. so forth and so on. I think that what a uh, kind of recurring theme that's come up when we do these shows is uh, professional surfing has tried to make it more objective in their scoring and in their judging. Take away some subjectivity and make it more, put it into a box, you know, and like, hey, we can quantify this and judge it like football is judged or golfing or whatever else. Golfing is not judged and football is not judged. They are not scored. Judged. You score You're your right. own points You're and right. you have defenders. Although golf, you don't have a defender, but you score your own points. Right. That's a good point. But they're trying to make there it are more... rules. They're trying to make it more uniform in its rules. But I think that the theme that I'm saying is recurring is that I think we need to kind of find a middle ground. It doesn't really need to be that objective. It needs to have a certain amount of guideline, but also... Um, flexibility in those guidelines for specific scenarios you know I agree. that's and that's what i'm saying yeah I, I acknowledge that there's spots where we won't where we have to have priority it makes right, a ton right, of sense right. but so, i just think it makes for better conflict better spectating more drama more stuff to talk about more breakdown yeah. and i think, I, I so think the better surfer is going to dominate the situation a more dynamic competitor will i mean you if know? you have sunny garcia yeah versus um Ace Buchanan or Bucken, Bucken, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Bucken. <laughs> Sorry, Ace. Or, you know, so now you've got this really rather large Hawaiian guy right. with a mean streak against, For I don't know Ace, but I'm sure he's competitive, but I'm sure that at some point he would probably back down. So you've got this really unique situation where Ace can paddle up and down the beach and Sonny can either chase him down or Ace can just frustrate the crap out of Sonny by getting a bunch of waves and... You know, so, I mean, yeah. there's still going to be quality surfing going on. Yeah. I'm not turning this into a hassle contest. I'm just saying, allow for normal hassling to take place. Yeah. Normal paddle battles and everyday situations should take place in ASB events. I agree. And in that, in that example, the trade-off would be, well, Sonny can chase him all he wants, but Sonny has to wait for a set wave to get the scores based on his type of surfing. Ace can take off on a two-footer and post an eight. Yeah. You know, which arguably Sonny can't. So, each guy has strengths. They have to use a percentage of their strengths and a percentage of, you know, fighting the other guy, essentially. I like it. It's a really, uh, it's a really good idea. You're the only one that's agreed with me. <laughs> you had to convince me. I, I put it on uh, Facebook and, you know, there are many, many opinions on this, yeah. mostly saying, Scott, you're way off base on this. Well, there it takes... needs to be a priority rule. And, and, and my whole thing is kind of what you mentioned, like you mentioned in the box, I'm thinking... Let's get out of the box. Let's think outside the well, box. Well, what I'm saying We're is, trying to make the sport better. Let's change it. We've done yeah. it. You know, but no, I, what I'm saying is that we've tried to put it in the box just to make it accepted by kind of the general public. But really what needs to happen is we're going to have to meet in the middle somewhere and pull back to, to the core of the sport, which is what you're saying. It's yeah. what you do when you go paddle out. Yeah. You battle it out. We all can relate to it too, by the way. We yeah, to totally. So... Um, that Sonny Garcia topic, is that a segue into our next uh, uh, headline? Yeah, it could be. Um, if I could, I, I talked with Marty Thomas this morning regarding the Reef Hawaiian Pro, and that will lead us into Sonny, right? Right, exactly. So the Reef Hawaiian Pro, um, Marty Thomas is the contest director for the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing. He's a good friend of mine. I called him, and um, he confirmed this morning that they have received a one-day extension from the city and county of Honolulu, to run the event on Sunday, which is a day late of the waiting period. So the Vans 
Reef and Wine Pro will run Sunday no matter what. They have to do it and they will be finishing up. Uh, they have the site at Sunset Beach, uh, which starts on Monday, mm -hmm. the waiting period. Um, all set up and ready to go. They would just have to move the webcast equipment, the broadcast equipment over there. And Marty said that you know they would all really like to have a lay day on that Monday and make the move and make the change. But if the surf's perfect and unbelievable sunset, they're going to do an all-nighter and run on Monday. But my gut feeling uh, from talking with Marty is that it's going to have to be pretty good for them to do it because they have another swell lined up on Thanksgiving Thursday uh, that looks really solid and Sunset Beach. And there's plenty of, it seems that there's plenty more swell for Hawaii, at least, uh, in the near future. So they've got a lot of good forecast. What a crappy... Um hand Marty's been dealt though as the contest director of this first event yeah because um, for those who haven't been watching the Reef Hawaiian Pro at Holly Eva the first day they called a lay day because the surf was too big the next day the surf was good and the next two days I think it was like kind of eight to ten feet Holly Eva really really contestable and they they ran a couple uh two rounds I think in good waves and then the last day it was waist high at best and a gravel fest and then they've had five consecutive lay days where it just looked like a lake, essentially. So um, they need, do they just need one more day to finish the comp? That's what my understanding it's was. The yeah, round it's round of 30, 64, I think. They already ran, they already ran that round, oh, so they now they're in 30, 32. Okay, okay, interesting, okay. So 32. That changes things. I looked at round of 64 and made my pick <laughs> based off of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll have to go take a look. No, I think they still exist. Uh -huh. I looked at your picks. Yeah? Right. Yeah, I think so. Um... But yeah, so round of 32, then quarters, semis, finals. It'd be a long day. Yeah, but. it's going to be a long day, um, especially, I guess, if they do 30-minute heats. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not too good at math. I can't break it down. But I know that it, no matter what, it'll be over Sunday night. Yeah. So um, you want to talk about the event up until this point? Uh, yeah, sure. Clash of the Legends? Clash of the Legends. Um, you know, here's my take on Clash of the Legends. Um it was really exciting. It was actually really fun. Some of those ones I haven't, some of the past ones I yeah. didn't necessarily like as much. For some reason, I, I think because of Brad Gerlach, I got really excited about this because um, Brad's a friend of mine. And, and quite frankly, I just love the way the guy surfs. He surfs with a lot of style. And you can tell he's a dancer. He's a performance dancer, which in my mind, surf, that's what surfing is. It's our chance to perform and to it, sort of represent ourselves. And Brad does a great job of that. Is that an analogy or is he actually a trained dancer? No, no, that's an analogy. I mean, okay, we're all it. dancers yeah, yeah, yeah. on the waves. That's really what surfing is when we break it down is it's our ability to um, express ourselves. Yes, I agree. And Brad does that in a really, you know, that fine blend of refinement, but um, uh, some spontaneity as well. And he's just a, got a great style. You know, he let's does. just be simple. He's just got a great surfing style. So they ran two heats. In the first heat, he did not catch a single wave. I was so disappointed. <laughs> and later in the show, you know, when we go to Kook and Duke, you'll know why. But okay, I, I, I was so fired up and Brad just sat there and he was in the channel and he was getting sucked in the rip and the current or whatnot. And, and I even wrote to Brad on Facebook. I said, it seemed to me that he was purposely letting the Hawaiians just have their moment almost out of respect, which I could see Brad doing, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. And just let Michael Ho and Kaipo and Sonny have the first heat to themselves, just sort of as a way of going, you know what? I loved competing with you guys back in the day, and you know what? You're Hawaiians. Here you go. That'd be and awesome. That was, that was what I thought. Wow. Because his, his, 
inability to paddle for any wave. Him just sitting there had me thinking. At first, I was like, okay, catch a wave, Brad. Catch a wave, Brad. Catch yeah. a wave. And then I was like, you know what? I think he's doing this on purpose. That's how bad it was. Because Yeah, exactly. Nobody could wait that long. And he was just... Like, yeah. he didn't even, like, make a move for no, a while. So it was I, depressing, I thought, dude. I know it was. It was frustrating. A big letdown. So um, what do you think about the format where they do um, two heats and they total all four of your scores to determine the winner? The two best waves from the first heat, two best waves from the second heat. How do you feel about that format? No, it's the top four waves of both heats. That's what I thought. Maybe I'm wrong. No, because no, there was... Be Were they going to give Brad all four of his no. heat scores? Brad had no chance of oh, winning okay. because the best he could have gotten was a total of 20. I see. Because right. he... So, yeah. I didn't know that. I thought perhaps that it was the top four scores, which, which meant that Brad had a chance. I thought they should have done it that way. Yeah. And that would have given Brad a chance, but that's not the way that it was yeah. dictated. Um, but that's a kind of a cool format, I think. Yeah, makes no, it more I interesting. I enjoyed the whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and and the second heat was just insane. You know, it was really good. I mean, the power surfing that that Kaipo and Sunny were doing was pretty phenomenal, especially the last wave that Kaipo had that Smashed big it. smash was yeah. just like let it rain. You know, there yeah. was so much spread. You can tell he. He unleashed, and he wanted to unleash. And they wind, they're riding the right boards, first of all. They have a lot of weight, and they just wind up off the bottom and just go full bore into the lip and just blow it apart. Yeah. It's radical. It was pretty awesome. And it's so nice to see in contrast to watching 18-year-old kids from somewhere other than the islands trying to navigate Haleiwa, yeah. you know? And some of them surf good, but this is just such a nice contrast to see. Um so I posed a question to you about Sonny Garcia and just scoring Sonny Garcia. Yeah. And not necessarily in the Legends uh, heat, the Clash of the Legends, but yeah. he was competing in the Holly of, a, yeah. of or in the Reef Hawaiian Pro as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think he gets overscored. I just am bored with kind of watching him surf. I think everybody pours out respect for him, all yes. the commentators and whatever. Yes. And that's fine, and that's due, yes. but I'm sick, kind of tired of hearing it, and I'm kind of tired of watching him surf, to be honest. I think he has a lot of power that's undeniable, but honestly, I know this will I'll get crap for saying this, but I think Sonny Garcia's power is akin to Jadson Andre's aerial game, in that it is one-dimensional. It's kind of a one-trick pony. I would argue for it's amazing and it's better than most other people can do it, but it is a one-trick pony. And I would argue further that he doesn't even really use his full rail when he's when he's doing those big patented turns. It's kind of the back half of his board, and it's kind of a stomp, and it's kind of a one-motion stomp as well. You know, he just like throws it all into the lip and gets into one position, and then tweaks it back into the other rail real quick and gets out of that position. Poncho Sullivan, Taylor Knox, other surfers use a similar amount of power, but they also use their full rail and they transition from rail to rail. Um, modern surfers like Connor Coffin, we saw at J-Bay. I would argue Jordy earlier this year at Bells. Even Zeke Lau, the young Hawaiian, watching him at Holly Eva. They're incorporating the same amount of power, but their full rail. I like to... Uh, Tom Curran isn't necessarily a power surfer, but when you watch him surf, he's incorporating 
a full symphony of instruments. He's shuffling his feet, walking back and forth, using every single inch of his rail and transitioning from rail to rail and riding a lot of different contours of the wave. I feel like Sunny Garcia just takes a huge breath in and blows out just like a bass. He's a, he's a tuba player. He's the bass or the French <laughs> horn. You know what I mean? Just like, and, and it's not necessarily less technical yeah. or less skilled than Tom Curran, but it's a lot less appealing to watch. Yeah. And I know that I can't do what Sonny does, but the reality is I have no desire to do what he does. I think it's a great criticism. I think there's a lot of people that probably feel the way you do. I don't, I don't think you're being unfair yeah. for saying what you've said. I think it's. I think there's some truth to it. Um, and as I mentioned to you, I don't know if you read what I, I wrote you, but um, I also think that Sonny's power surfing um, is better received when you're in person on the beach watching it. I don't think it translates on the webcast as well as when you're in Hawaii with the Hawaiians and they got the announcers and they're going, Sonny's taking off on a wave. Here he goes. He's winding up, big power surfing. And he goes, bang. And he blows that tuba and just does that big turn that you're talking about. Limited turn in some respects. And he's certainly no Tom Curran. Let's not even go there for sure. Yeah. But um, when you're there in person and, and you know, you've got your shave ice in your hand and, and I just think his power surfing, it's more dynamic and it's it's better served hot on the beach at Haleiwa than than through the webcast. I, but that being said, it is what it is. You, you, I, I won't break it down any yeah. better than you did. And um, and again, I, I can see where you're coming from. I, you know, if you want to talk power surfing and you mentioned Poncho, you know, I, I think I would rather see Poncho be that power guy because I think there's a little bit more polish mm -hmm. in his um, act. Yeah, even Kaipo, watching Kaipo Akia surf with, he had the same amount of power. I think Kaipo looked a little bit stiff, you know, because he probably is, but it had a little bit more variation to the turns that he was doing than Sonny's yeah. turns. Sonny's just... Sonny's a one-turn wonder is yeah. what it is, and even and, the announcers say that. You know, like everyone knows it, Sonny knows it. Yeah. I don't think it's... But but it's also a thing that, that look, if, if it's... Uh, Eight to twelve foot Haleiwa, like real Haleiwa, like yeah. Wes. That stuff that he's doing is insane. And and if you put them side by side on a split screen with say, I don't know, Pat Godowskis, Tanner, any any of the guy, most of the guys, right. And you really look at the power quotient that's coming out of Sonny's turns. It's pretty damn amazing. Yeah, it is. relative to what the other guys can do totally. with their little chicken legs, like me. I think Zeke Lau, I mentioned, is a great example of somebody that can replace Sonny in terms of he's doing the same amount of power. He's 18 or 19. Yeah. But he also does everything else with it. Yeah. You know, so I'd like to see that kid cultivate that some more. Yeah. Because, yeah, the power does have relevance and it doesn't go out of style. And Sonny's been doing it since 88, you know, or whatever. And there's so few of those guys. Like Zeke's a guy that we can look to and hope that he cultivates that side of his surfing, right? But who else? I mean, the, the tour just naturally lends itself to guys that are 140 pounds. Right. And that's just the way it is, you yeah. know, unfortunately. So it's also kind of. Like we can sit here and kind of go, yeah, that's all he's got. But in a way, it's kind of like, thank God he's got it because he's really one of the only guys that's showing it. And it helps the younger generation go, oh, my God, did you see Sonny blow up? That was insane. I'll never be able to do that. That guy's powerful. And, you know, be, wouldn't it be horrible if there was 45 of those? Yeah. You know, but, you know, so totally in some regards, we certainly hope that Zeke and there's probably some other guys um, that are they're sort of more powerful 
in the younger QS ranks that I uh, that I don't know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they're um, probably not. not. Nobody's coming to my mind in the CT. That's like, who's the power guy on the CT? Like. Yeah, I don't know. Um, is there a power guy? They're all like a little bit more finesse. William Cardozo's. Oh yeah, gonna that, qualify. That would be the guy. The kung fu panda. And I'm already bored of him. I, like I Dude, don't. He's to, he's to brilliant. me. It's like the Brazilian Sonny Garcia. <laughs> That's true. He is. He's amazing though. I I think the kung fu panda is a great nickname too. I'm just just I. Ever since he beat, I think he beat Kelly at Bell's, right? Was it Bell's? Yeah. This year that just kind of ruined my fantasy team. And uh, ever since then, I've had a resentment against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's a great guy. He, he, he is that large, keg-like body. There were guys like Mick Lowe on tour in the 90s that sort of had that power thing going, you know? Yeah. But besides William Cardoso, who's the guy we look to and go, that's our power? Oh, you know who? Michelle Perez. Oh, yeah. Michelle Perez is a power guy. He's unreal. Yeah, he's a guy that's got well, sort of the full complement. What's crazy with Michelle is like seeing him surf two-foot Holly Eva this week, and he was shredding. He dominated his heat. So he incorporates that massive amount of power into tiny waves. Well, he's one of those guys, when you ask me who's my pick, I didn't put him on my final four. As a winner, but he could easily be a winner. He won at Hollyva. He won Hollyva two See, or three years there ago you go. in big waves. That's yeah, yeah. I mean that Tahitian background. Well, I guess that that kind of takes us. All, I'll give you my my uh, who I think is going to win. Um, it's general. I, I I don't know my stats that well, but I generally think that it's Hawaiians that do well at the at the Reef Hawaiian Pro at Hollyva. I know that. Um, you know, uh, Jolson Tio's won it, and you look at the list, and you generally plus it's it's heavily seated with Hawaiians. John John's won it, Seabass. There you go. Yeah. You know, and even way back in the very beginning, there was a guy Terry uh, Kerry Terakina that that won it. I mean, there's just a bunch of local Hawaiian guys sure. that usually win it. So I've got Evan Valier, Mason Ho uh, as potential winners. My finalists are Evan Mason, uh, this Moroccan guy Ramsey who. Who's just very impressive. He's amazing. And um, um, Tanner Gadowskis. Yeah. That's just, I just threw Tanner in there. Um, Those are good picks. I based well, Interesting what, though, is that yeah. who have I left off of the final? That means Mick Fanning's not in the final. Oh, we yeah. know John John Florence isn't in the final. Yeah. Lost to an interference. So, well, the waves are going to be small, first of all. We don't know that. Uh, they're not scheduled to be full okay. Holly Eve. All right. You know what I mean? Fair enough. I use those so factors. So it could be less. Yeah, it could be. So one of the guys that you picked, I picked as well, and that's Ramsey Bukayam from Morocco. Um, and my other... He just did really good in the World Junior event, didn't he? Yeah, he got second. See, so I, I picked him because I like I saw him surfing, and he looked great. And then I said, he's he's on the heels of a really good result. And he just and he looked on point, so I thought, you know what? This guy could just sneak up and be in the final. Last year at the World Junior event in Bali, he was in the final against Jack Freestone. And Jack Freestone just blew up. It was like windy onshore rights, and Jack Freestone was doing corrupt flips, crazy spins. And so um, he won it, but Ramsey made the final. And actually, I think, did what Brad Gerlach did and just kind of didn't catch waves. Sat there waiting. But So he's done well for a long time, and he's actually got quite a, quite a competitive background in the junior ranks. But my two picks for winners are Ramsey Bukayam and Matthew, Matty Banting. Matty Banting's regular foot on that Quicksilver. That is a random... No, it's not. If you're paying so attention... Random. I will guarantee you he will not win. <laughs> got a Another beer. Bet? bet a beer what on our, it. What was our last bet? That... I don't know. We Oh, Kelly and Mick oh, okay. for the world title. We That's got a beer right. on that and then a beer on this. I'll bet you he's in the final. Here's why. He made the semifinals in Huntington Beach. Okay. 
right? Took down Jordy. That Th- that's that this year. Me, that's this year. Um, he won the Australian Junior Open and the the Australian Open, our equiv- their equivalent of the U.S. Open. He won both those contests two years ago in the same year, both divisions, and yeah. he's been on the steady rise since then. He just released a web clip last week of him surfing in Europe. <laughs> These are your reasons why he's going to win. Two years ago, he won the Australian U.S. Open or whatever. That was and he released big, a web clip. <laughs> you you got to watch the web clip and then argue they with They all me. have really great web clips. No, not like this. Go on. Argue with me after you watch the web <laughs> I'm clip. I'm not arguing. I'm just um, what I'm saying is, What I'm saying is he he uh, made himself known with that big Australian win. Yes. He's popped up a couple times with contest results. All of it's building and accumulating. And now I'm saying, bam, here comes the dagger. And the waves are going to be small, which I think suit him well. So just All watch right. out. All we'll right. talk. You know you'll, what? You'll, you'll I, I, I'll respect it as a wild card pick. Perhaps I'll be eating my words. Well, it's a pretty random one. Just to let you know, I don't accept canned beer. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be a craft brew. Okay. Draft or a bottle, I'll accept. Okay. So we'll Fair negotiate enough. those details later. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, something I was watching the heat analyzer and I, I always go to Dane Reynolds heats. I want to see what he's doing and yeah. something that caught my attention that because I do surfboard shows and, um, I sort of want to protect my guys. One of the announcers mentioned that Dane Reynolds basically brought the dumpster diver to the world, designed the board or his exact words. I, I don't really have, but it was something along the lines of Dane Reynolds invented the dumpster diver surfboard design. And I just want to set the record straight that that, and it's actually, did you read the link that I sent? Yeah, I did. There's a ton of drama around it. And I don't mean to dredge up the drama from five years ago or whatever, but it's my understanding that Robert Wiener from Robert's Surfboards made that surfboard in 2008. It was, wasn't called the Dumpster Diver. Right. It was actually a board that they, I don't know how it came about, but Dane loved the board. Uh, he went on to become that board went on to become the white diamond model, which made um, Robert's surfboards. He got a lot of acclaim. I think he wanted one surfboard of the year or something. Shaper of the year. Shaper of the year with surfing, surfing magazine. magazine. Yeah, and um, and there was a bunch of drama about it. I just wanted to be clear that 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 white diamond board was the board that Dane Reynolds loved, and then the CI, the Channel Islands guys, were like bummed out that Dane wasn't riding one of their boards. And so they, you know, they got together and made their version of the white diamond and they called it the dumpster diver. So just to set the record straight, let's give some credit to this hardworking shaper, Robert Wiener, who uh, deserves all the credit. Yeah. Amazing shaper. Well-known, well-respected from Ventura, which is where Dane's from, which is that, that connection, connection probably. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Good call. Um, should we, I think we should touch base real quickly on the world title race update. Uh, Mick Fanning is competing in the Reef uh, Hawaiian Pro. He's still in it into the round of 32. Kelly did not compete there. I'm taking Mick Fanning as the pick to win the world title this year because the numbers, uh, you know, support it. You're taking Kelly Slater because your emotion supports it. (laughs) What do you mean? I've got 11 titles. How many numbers do you want? I've got the most important number, 11. All right. 11 world titles. Fair enough. So, um, so let's just touch base on what's been going on since the last CT event. I think 
What's kind of cool is they both ended M up in Mick's Fiji. Mick's burning himself out, and Kelly's nice and fresh. <laughs> what else do you need to know? Possibly. <laughs> Kelly's in hiding because he's shamed. By the way, Kelly never does the Triple Crown. I, I right. Don't, I, I don't, you know, he did it when he was younger, but, I mean, he hasn't done it probably in yeah. 10 years. And, and I think Mick uh, committed contractually because he's sponsored by Reef at the beginning of the year. So now at this point, he's obligated to do it. But neither here nor there. What I think is interesting is that they both ended up in Fiji a couple of weeks ago with a really massive swell. They were filming the final... Mick was there because they were filming the final section of a movie that he's working on with Taylor Steele called Missing, which will be... Um, I think it's sponsored by Rip Curl, made by Rip Curl. Uh, but they ended up surfing, you know, 8 to 10 foot cloud break with very few other guys. And um, I think it was over Halloween, end of October. So they were there together, which I think is really kind of cool about our sport is that the two kingpins that are going for the world title on their time off or surfing together in cloud break, you know, which is a barreling left-handed reef break, not unlike pipeline in certain aspects, you know? Yeah, it is It is actually quite interesting, you know, because um, for me, what, what's interesting about it is sort of the mind games, if there are any, that take place between the two guys. Totally. You know, like... You know, just think you're Mick Fanning and you're filming your last part of a movie in Perfect Cloud Break and Kelly Slater just shows up. Totally. And sort of like says, hey, Mick, what's up? Yeah, no, I'm just here chasing the waves too. You don't think Mick Fanning's going, okay, wait a minute. Now, yeah, okay, the waves are good and it makes sense that he's here, but is that really why he's here or is he here to throw some wrench in my psyche? Totally. And even if he isn't, because Mick's thinking that, he did, he succeeded in doing that. Completely. Kelly probably was just going surfing, you know? Yeah. Why not? And at the end of the day, when they're reviewing clips, if Kelly gets the best clips of the day, what does that do to Mick? Or vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of factors at play. It's, and you know Kelly's using it to his advantage. He's going to take it and use it however he thinks is the best way to use it from a, from a mental standpoint. We know that he has in the past. Yeah. Totally. And I guess then the question is, can Mick... I guess my big thing is Mick, like, you know, before he goes to bed, he's going, hmm, was Kelly... Just getting into my head today, or was he really being my friend, or, or because it's Kelly, I have to read into all of these different situations and all these things that he said to me and all these ways he said you go, no you go, and all these different things. Like with Kelly, you just never know if it's sincere or if it's sincere deception. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think from the outsider looking in, it looks like Kelly is a really nimble-minded person, and he can play and manipulate and kind of. Um, you know, he's very confident in his skills, so he's not worried about that. Now he's on a different level playing mind games. Mick, on the other hand, seems very focused in his goal, and he could be thrown off track. I feel like at this point in Mick's career, he's hyper-focused, and he's not necessarily going to let Kelly knock him off track. If this was the first world title, maybe he would be, but he's kind of pushed past that competitively. And it's just like, I don't give a crap what anybody else is doing around me. I have one focus and that's winning the world title. No matter what their points are, I need to win contests in order to do that. And that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I ran into um, Steve Sherman the other day and I asked Steve about this because he's really tight with both of these guys. And I said, Steve, I'm doing my radio show with David. I need some insight. What do you think? You know, is it going to be Mick? Is it going to be Kelly? This is perhaps the, the most anticipated Pipe Masters ever um, based on the internet and social media. And, you know, it's the first time that it's really kind of gotten to this place where everyone's talking about it. Yeah. And he said that um, he's actually been hanging out with Mick a little bit more than Kelly and that he feels like Mick's 
more relaxed than he's ever mm. seen him in his life. Wow. More relaxed in a good, focused way, like yeah, you're yeah. saying. And, and he also said that of Kelly. He said that he's never seen Kelly as relaxed. So Steve Sherman basically saying, look, they're both ready to go. Kind of what you're saying. Nothing's really going to trip either of them up. They're both super relaxed, um, mixed focused. Kelly is playing that, you know, let it go and it'll come to me thing. Yeah. And um, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's just going to be a good event. And hopefully it'll play out the way we, we anticipate the way I anticipate. Well, I mean, from a spectator, <laughs> we just what we really want to see is they're on, they're on opposite sides of the draw. Yeah, and let's just see them get down to a place where, um, you know, maybe yeah. you know, it's going to be good. Um, we got the two top athletes in our sport at their prime, essentially coming head to head in the biggest contest of the season. It's like super exciting. Now we just need the swell. You know? Yes, we did. Um, so, moving on. Yeah. I I listened to your last show. Um, Fukushima or Fukushima? Yeah. <laughs> and so you you um, brought up the Fukushima Daiichi situation. Yeah. And I feel like it's worth breaking down a little bit more. Um, I do too. And I, I warned you that, that it's such a complex situation. Yeah. That... From from you and from I uh, from our standpoint, we could um, we could turn off the listening audience if we get too involved. Like there's so much good information out there to learn about it that we urge you listeners to go check it out for yourself. Yeah. And um, with that caveat, do you trust I'll, me to deliver an outline right now? I just I hope it's quick and potent. Oh dang, it's potent. It better be quick <laughs> because if it's in depth and that length, I think that we can. Um, it's not. It's not in depth, but it needs to be discussed. Period. And we urge you again to <laughs> to go check it out online too. Like, just Google it, and you'll find out tons of information. But go. Let for me. It. Yeah. Let me give the details because I don't. Fukushima tsunami earthquake. Go. Yes. So I received a tweet from at Buddha Protocol with a link. Oh yes, Buddha Protocol, isn't it? I know. I, he's a good guy. Yeah, B-U-D-D-A. Okay. So whatever. Sorry. Yeah. No, I don't know. Um, with a link to an article written by Bill Moyers. And basically just gives the details of what the current situation is. And the reason why it's relevant now is they're starting a new phase of cleanup that is super important. Vital. Super important. Potential. Potential for global disaster is happening right now. By far. Yes. The worst nuclear disaster yes. we've ever seen. Could have. So Could. Potential. So, uh, to bring people up to speed, the Fukushima Daiichi power plant was destroyed by the tsunami in 2011. The concern is about radioactive fallout. So the problem, the plant has leaked and probably still is leaking radioactive, uh, radioactivity. This poses a wide threat because for surfers and non-surfers, a large part of our life comes out of the Pacific Ocean. Um, it's an Im imminent concern for swimmers, surfers, in the radioactive water itself, but also for eating of sea life that comes from that water. What is the danger of radioactive water? Radioactive materials have the potential to damage cells of the body through the process of decay. This happens by stripping away of electrons from atoms uh, or breaking of chemical bonds. Any living tissue in the human body can be damaged by ionized radiation in a unique matter. <laughs> 
Cells out of ionized radiation, you've gone too far. Just tell us it's gonna kill us. Okay. <laughs> it will kill you with cancer if you're Thank exposed you. to it. Now you're, now you're on. Okay, got it. So the debacle is that TEPCO, um, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, has misreported and neglected to report leaks and cleanup practices. They have denied and later admitted to leaks. Um, the disaster could be worsened because they need to clean up, um, I guess, plant number four. There's four that have been demolished. They need to clean up plant number four. There's 1,500 spent fuel rods that are in plant number four, each of which is six feet long, or I'm sorry, 15 feet long, 600 pounds, and has 15,000 times the amount of radiation that Hiroshima. Hiro the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima has. Yeah. So any one of those. Each one of those has 15 times the amount of radioactivity. Okay, so they have to remove those and get those taken care of. Correct. Now the big issue with those is, think of that number four um, holding tank, I guess it is. Yeah. Think of that as a pack of cigarettes. Right. And you've got these rods in the cigarettes and you have to remove them, pull them out from the top without one cigarette touching the other cigarette. Right. Probably could do it, you know, if you had like computer, you know, handling, like a, had it really together. But they're doing it by hand with a crane. And oh, by the way, the cigarettes are bent and crushed. If they touch each other, the potential for setting out this radiation is great. And the, that's where the, the carton itself is crushed. The carton is and and yeah, the cigarettes exactly. in there and they've got to pull it out, right. pull out each cigarette without one cigarette touching the other cigarette. And if it's basically impossible. If, if the fuel rod touches air, it emits radioactive gases as well. So highly technical. Look, it's a full on nightmare, right? Full nightmare. Okay, so we've set the stage that it's a full nightmare, but here's my outrage. Yes. Okay. And I apologize for no. taking the platform. No, 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 good. Um, I have two questions. Yes. Is it as bad as the internet news outlets and Bill Moyers are making it out to be? And two, if it is, and I'm assuming it is because I trust Bill Moyers, why aren't all of our beloved, loving nonprofits, such as Surfrider Foundation, such as the Sierra Club, such as the Nature Conservancy, why aren't they putting this at the top of their list? Why aren't they, instead of having a rock concert to raise money for the Surfrider Foundation, why aren't they putting out, why aren't I even seeing anything on Instagram or on Facebook from any of these uh, nonprofits about this. Not even a peep. I've asked them, you know, I've hoped that they would put a stop on their marketing campaigns for this year and just kind of focus on raising the awareness so that we get to see this stuff on, you know, Rachel Maddow or, or, or Fox News or CBS or NBC. It seems to me that none of the North American news outlets are doing anything about this. They're not. We're not even hearing about it. No. Now, you hear about it on Al Jazeera, on BBC. You hear about it on the Russian news networks, Russian Times. Um, you'll hear about it from Bill Moyers' blog. Right. If this is as dangerous as we think it is, <sighs> why why are we not hearing about it? And why aren't surf, the Surfrider Foundation at least putting out a blog going, hey, this is bad? Right. Like, that's Keep all I'm awesome. on it. Yeah, just, yeah. just go, oh, my God, this is bad. Right. You know, like, why aren't they doing that? I have no idea. Uh, I don't Does have the answer. Does it frustrate you? Like it frustrates me. Completely. All I'm asking you is for a little bit of awareness. Help us raise the awareness that right now, if this is all correct, there could be global devastation awaiting us. I know. No, it's insane. I think you, what we've touched on in past shows is it's not really 
I, we've, I don't expect the American news media, I don't expect anything of them at this point, you know what I mean? Other than to provide entertainment. Um, so, but you're right with the nonprofits on the other hand that are about ocean, you know, conservation, I would expect them. They're surfers, aren't they? Yeah, I would expect them to be saying something. So it is surprising how it's underreported it's been. It's not on their agenda, apparently. I mean, you what is, what's more have... important? What is more, name yeah. one thing more important than just raising the awareness of this issue. You would hope that they don't have an agenda, you know? Well, I don't mind an agenda. I'm saying put a, put a stop to your agenda because your agenda sucks compared to this. Like, you won't have an agenda. Yeah. If you don't at least go, oh my God, you guys, this is a little bit more important than, you know, I don't know, save Martin's Beach or whatever. You won't have Martin's Beach, right. dude. So another thing that I saw on surfermag.com, they just posted an article yesterday and the final line of it I thought was really interesting, which was, we're talking about re nuclear reactor number four yeah. of four. Um they said, surprisingly, the greater story here may not be the inherent dangers that TEPCO faces in removing the spent fuel rods from reactor number four, but the unknown problems that continue to percolate in reactors one through three. Currently, those reactors are considered to be too radioactive to approach. Oh, God. <laughs> and, so, and this isn't on the surf riders of radar? No. This is ridiculously... So, all you know, the other thing is that... And I'm sorry to interrupt, no, but they have these water tanks that are holding the radioactive water. They have to continuously cool all of these things. And when they do that, they throw thousands of gallons of water at it. And all of that water is then radioactive. And so they store that water in these tanks that they just built randomly after the earthquake, which aren't built to spec. In other words, they're not built like solidly like the ones you see at San Onofre. These ones are basically Legos. They have seams. They're not solid structures. They're like they were just haphazardly put together after the the accident. And they admitted to one of them leaking 300 tons of radioactive water. That's all they've admitted. Right. And this is TEPCO. And you know and they're was, hiding tons of shit. Totally. And um, quick note, they had two power failures in the last two years since the tsunami. One of them was due to rats chewing through a cable. The second one was due to... That might have been the TEPCO officials. Could, well, actually, even worse, the second one was due to workers trying to rat-proof the cables. So you're looking at this huge undertaking that they're going through right now with this cleanup, and it's like, if you can't even prevent rats from chewing through the cables, which seems like a pretty basic thing, how are you going to accomplish this other And of course, the thing? cultural issue here, David, is that um, TEPCO won't let the international community in to help. And right. that's really what everyone's calling exactly. for. They're like, we need a multinational. Let's get the experts. We got MIT, Harvard experts. If we join forces with the Japanese experts, and there are many over there, TEPCO's just this corporation like BP that's just trying to cover their ass. And, and we need, again, international minds. The one thing that everybody's in agreement on in the international community is that TEPCO has misrepresented the facts about how much danger is involved with the situation. So... That's what's even more scary. That is, there's just so much wrong Crazy. with this story that I, again, I ask myself, is it me? Is it Scott? Am I overreacting to this? Is, is this, or, or is this as bad as what I'm reading? And if no. it is, where is everybody? Yeah. And is it just that we're just, there's too much Kim Kardashian to, to worry about TEPCO and Fukushima? I, I don't know. Yeah. I get, I get going. I get yeah, a little no, frustrated. it's insane. I'm going to change subjects. Yeah. Let's move on. We'll post the appropriate links on 
What, downthelineradio.com? All you need to do is go to Surfrider Foundation and ask them what's going on. Just yeah. send them a Facebook going, uh, hello? You know, just aren't you supposed to keep, you know, we're, we, anti I anticipate them help, you know, spreading the word. I, I look to them as leaders in this and I'm not seeing leadership. That's all. Reason we're talking about it is because we got tweets from you guys to talk about it, you know, so do the same thing with Surfrider Foundation or whomever else. Uh, but I'll post the links to those articles on my website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. So in case you haven't already read up on them, what's next, Scotty? Um, it's hard to change subjects after that. I, I feel like anything we talk about is self-centered and selfish, which it is. Uh, the lack of swell in the North Pacific, David. We had a legitimate um, swell in July. Um, there were some fun waves at Malibu. Um, I was lucky enough to surf in a contest in July up there, and there was a solid swell. And then um, after that, there really hasn't been anything until that really great week in early October, which the South Swell and the weather coordinated and lit up um, just a beautiful weekend of great waves. But really, July and October were really the only two real main uh, swell events, if you will. Certainly, there were some wind swell moments and some you know haphazard yeah. South Swell here or there. But... Uh, and, and then before July's swell event, it was horrible, except for there was a, a south swell in May. So there was a springtime swell, then the July, and then one in October. And we're in major doldrums now, although I have looked, you know, and there's some hope on the long-term model, like 180, day, 180 hours out, there might be a little blip. Um, so here in Southern California... We just ask that you feel sorry for us because it's been horrible. I think it's radioactive water that's doing it. I wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. Yeah. I'm keeps, going, keeps the waves down. I'm going to Nicaragua. You know what? There could be truth to that because there all those could be. swells generate from that area of Japan. Damn it. Totally. It might be warmer water now though too. Good God. Um, I'm going to Nicaragua on Saturday. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for try you. Try to get some waves somewhere. Bring your golf clubs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I saw some photos from the last couple days. It looks like it's pumping. Act not pumping, but like super fun. You'll have fun. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, be warm. Warm water is good stuff. Yep. Um, let's see. I noticed that the Oxford Oxford Dictionary uh, this year. Every year, you know, they I think they add a new word to the dictionary, or maybe it's Webster's. I don't know. But the the term selfie which is that word that now means you're taking a picture of yourself with your cell phone. Yeah. Selfie is now an official word. Yeah. The word of the year, I think, is word what it was. Year, yeah, okay. for Merriam-Webster. Yeah, um, hilarious, first of all. My wife and her best friend definitely spearheaded that movement, I would say. <laughs> a lot of selfies, huh? Dude, nonstop selfies. Like Kim Kardashian, like butt selfies? Did you see the no. Kim Kardashian butt selfie that she sent out? No, I didn't. Oh, man. Should I? No, not really. Okay. It's not... It's not all that. Pregnant butt selfie? Or Just like... a large buttocks. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of Kim Kardashian, dude. Um, no, that is funny, though. It's representative of where we're at right now. As a Pop culture. culture, yeah. Way more important than <laughs> Fukushima. <laughs> um, Greg Long, adventurer. One of 13 nominees in the National Geographic 2014 Adventurers of the Year is our very own big wave surfer, Greg Long. From right here in San Clemente. Um, to become a nominee, these nominees need to show extraordinary achievement in exploration, adventure sports, conservation, and humanitarianism. And um, from the press release here, Greg Long, 
American big wave surfer who won the big wave world tour last year, despite nearly losing his wife, his life in a massive wipeout a few months earlier. So you can go online and vote for these various nominees, Greg Long amongst them, and then they will be awarded the people's choice as the adventurer of the year. So vote. I'll let you run with that. Your thoughts on Greg Long. Did you see these other nominees? I didn't actually. I'm just going to vote for Greg no matter what. Really? Well, dude, he's That's a surfer. I, I, I would urge listeners not to follow David's advice. Look at the other nominees. I think, look, Greg's a friend of mine. Yeah. I, I would like it if he won, but I'm not going to just vote because he's a surfer. I think that we need to look at the big picture. I'm There's this guy, Kevin Pierce. Yeah. American snowboarder who had a traumatic brain injury and has now launched a Love Your Brain campaign to encourage the use of helmets for kids. I think something like that um, is, is that adventurous? Maybe not, but it certainly falls under uh, humanitarianism. And um, I like the idea of, of urging, urging everybody to wear helmets hmm. when they snowboard. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, that's Damn a good... it, you're supposed to argue. <laughs> that's a... this, is well, a, this is the argument segment of the show. Tell I got... me why Greg Long is an adventurer. Tell me why. Is he an explorer? There's some people on here that are doing some incredible exploring. Yeah, this no. This couple that, that kayaked like 11,000 miles, dog sled foot, connecting with students and teachers along the way. I mean, all Greg's doing is being a surfer, which is what we love, which is going, you know, riding waves, and in his case, riding them, you know, huge waves. Yeah. Nothing against that. But looking at the criteria, conservation, adventure sports, exploration, and humanitarianism. I've got no skin in the game. I'm voting for Greg Long. You know what? There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that either. I, I, I'll probably vote for Greg too. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I honestly, like, I'm not going to argue with a guy um, with a head injury that's really traumatic and, you know, probably going to get deserves votes, but I'm voting for Greg Long. All right. Fair enough. Um, Let me ask you this. Yeah. If Greg Long had died, let's just look at it hypothetically. If he had passed away, and thank God he didn't. You know, we all love Greg Long. He's a, Greg's a great guy. Do you think that he, if he had the ability to look at himself and his death from from the spirit world, so to speak, and look down on his life now. Do you think that he would do things differently or do you think there might be a message that he would like to send along to children? Um, and is it, and is in fact he doing that now in his living body? Is there, you know, like, I always kind of like to look at it from what if he had passed away? Would he had like to send a message? And would that message be, I'm glad I did what I did. I was living life to the fullest and don't let anything stop you. Or would it be, you know what, there probably is a line in the sand and and if I would have seen that line in the sand and not cross it, I might now be able to like watch my children grow up and see my grandkids and enjoy a much fuller life. I choose answer A. I think he um, he was doing what he loved, but he he actually came as close to death as you could arguably without actually crossing over. And I think that is enough you can learn a giant lesson from that. And he did an insane amount of preparation in advance and he was able to survive the situation because of that preparation. And that's the lesson. And I think that- He said in an interview when he was getting hoisted from the life flight helicopter that he was done with big wave surfing. He said that really? he said to God, thank you God for giving me my life. I'm done, no more big wave surfing. And of course, being surfers, 
after a few months of rehab and ready to go again, he was back on the horse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I find the whole thing fascinating. And there is no right answer, by the way. I'm not no, sitting here trying to tell Greg Long how to live his life. I'm just, um, but I I'm think, intrigued by it. I think, if anything, I think he's a great lesson in adequate preparation. You know what I mean? And training. What I think, too, I've thought about bringing this up in the past with the uh, Maya Gabieri situation. Maya Gate? Yes, the Maya Gate situation. <laughs> yes. Is nobody ever really, I didn't see anybody compare those two scenarios where Maya was criticized for being an inadequate surfer. Because, only by Laird. He's the only one that criticized. But he didn't bring up Greg Long as the counterpoint saying, you know, Greg almost died similarly to Maya and nobody was questioning Greg's ability, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying that I want to draw that comparison. I just think it's interesting that we haven't. Yeah, I don't, I, I I don't, don't think... know enough about it, but I have read some stuff online and some internet forums and stuff where you, you just can't really rely on any of the information. But yeah. I will say with that caveat that I, I've heard that, um, you know, Maya perhaps wasn't as prepared as she could have been. Okay. My personal stance... And that's not me saying that. That's what I read in some forum by some anonymous guy who probably doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll jump on a grenade. And, so, and the reason I bring that up yeah. is because I think Laird would acknowledge, I know for a fact that Greg Long was prepared to, yeah. to do what he did. And I think Laird's wondering, Laird's comments probably come from a place where he's not sure if Maya was completely prepared to do what she did. Yeah. And I will jump on a grenade and say, I think the same thing. I think that Greg Long is a more adequate surfer and big wave rider. I think he probably was more prepared than Maya was. And um, the situation that Maya was in was due to maybe her, not lack of preparedness, but lack of surfing ability. Whereas Greg, on the other hand, was just due to when you're surfing massive waves, putting yourself in that scenario, sometimes you, your life may... You get cut off by Garrett McNamara and it's <laughs> all over. Yeah, so... Well... Go vote. Go vote National Geographic. I don't know. There's this... There's this other adventurer, Sarah Marquis, who is a Swiss hiker who has just completed a three-year trek from Siberia to Australia. Oh, my God. That's, the, you know. And then I there's didn't know this, Siberia, Siberia connected with Australia. <laughs> Why not? It's an incredible hike. She can hold her breath really, really long. <laughs> I mean, there's some, you know, it's one of those things where all of the candidates for this National Geographic yeah. thing are, are all qualified and... Yeah. yeah, they should all win. Yeah, they're all winners. All right. Quicksilver has mooned the ASP. They've dropped their drawers, spread their cheeks, and mooned the ASP. Your titles are always my favorite part of the show. Thank you. Really good, dude. Quicksilver CEO Andy Mooney fired a pretty good shot across the bow of the Zosi ASP World Tour last week when um, basically Sean Thompson had asked him a question during a Q&A moment. And... Um, it revolved around Quicksilver's ongoing commitment to the professional tour. Sean's question was, or no, I should say Mooney's response was, look, if Quicksilver is going to contribute to the ASP, we have to figure out what we're getting for it. If you're not going to give us access to the content, if you're not going to give Quicksilver exposure for our brand and for our athletes, it's not really clear to me why Quicksilver should want to be involved. And that was his answer again to Sean Thompson asking them about their involvement in next year's ASP World Tour. So 
I'm going to backtrack real quick and give listeners an understanding of where we're at and where that, how that conversation came about. Um, the way that the ASP works is that from 2001, the ASP was a company co-owned by the surfers and WCT event franchisees. The event franchisees uh, were held by a range of entities, but mostly various surf companies like Quicksilver, Billabong, Rip Curl. So those franchisees, uh, for their commitment, got to run an ASP, an event to the ASP specs. They could draw in whatever sponsorship help they wanted. For example, the Reef Hawaiian Bro presented by Vitamin Water. Vitamin Water is the additional sponsor. Um, but they had to use ASP event formulas and judging panel and provide ASP endorsed prize money um, guaranteed within a, you know, a, a payment in 90 days in advance, whatever. Um, they held all the media rights, the franchisees held all the media rights for the event by default. Over time, the webcasts and prize money have increased. And so now those events require budgets of anywhere from 2.5 to $3 million. They're super expensive to produce. Zozi uh, bought the ASP last year and they're taking full ownership in 2014. And their aim, as Paul Speaker said back in March, is a global centralized sports league. And it's essential for us that those who are already engaged with us and those who are invited in see it as one of the premier global sports in the world. The new incarnation will be a business. It won't be a ratings calculator. It won't be a marketing campaign for another business. It will be a business in its own right. Centralized broadcast, centralized management, centralized sponsorship. So what he's saying is that it's not a marketing campaign for Quicksilver next year. What, what Mooney was saying in your quote is, if we're not getting a marketing campaign for our 2.5 to $3 million commitment, what the F are we getting out of this? Maybe we don't commit. So, and I think they're both right. I mean, I think that, you know, Andy Mooney brings up a great point, you know, like we're getting so much for our buck last year. Now we're, we're not getting much for our buck this year. Why be involved? Plus, oh, by the way, you know, we're trying to trim our budget and we already yeah. have, and you know, and, and, and the whole surf industry is imploding. And speaker is saying with Zozi, we're going to help reduce those costs with centralized broadcasting or whatever else. So it won't cost 3 million event to produce. It'll cost 1 million. So yeah. you're not investing as much. You're not getting as much in return, but you're not investing as much. Um, it remains to be seen. Who's I think gonna more important to this was just the shot across the bow. Yes. Right now, to me, it was interesting that that Mooney was so forthcoming. Yeah. Basically kind of saying, hey, Paul, I'm not really in your game. You know, to the ASP. Yeah. And and what's interesting to me is Zozi hasn't yet produced a tour schedule for 2014. And we're in November of 2013. We don't know what events are coming next year. Is it going to be a replica of this year? Maybe with different sponsors, Quicksilver backs out of the Snapper comp or the France comp, or are there going to be different locations? Like we don't know anything. I think all of that's being decided right now in Hawaii. They're having a, every year they have a big meeting. You're right. Normally you would know the schedule, Yeah. but um, I think there's a lot of political drama playing out. I know for a fact that, that, uh, Claw Warbrick, you know, he, he basically runs that Bells event every year. That's Rip Curl's event. And that's his beach. I mean, that's, they've been there for 50 years. They've and I, I know, owned the event. 
I know that Claw Warbrick's not going to just hand over the event to the ASP and go, yeah. okay, whatever you say, you know. There's some, there's some, a lot of pride, a lot of ego, a lot of know-how, a lot of knowledge, a lot of, you know, 40 years of understanding it that it's just going to be very, very interesting. And um, you know what? We'll see how it all plays out here um, in the next coming months. Zozi and the ASP have secured the Big Wave Tour as one of their um, entities that they own. And the Big Wave Tour has secured an umbrella sponsor. Um, the company's called Expression. I guess they're an app maker. So that's a big deal, you know, and a revenue stream for the Big Wave Tour. It's but, a good year for that, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Waves are 18 to 24 inches. Yeah. All so. Right. Politics, man. It's all going to come down here. We're all going to see it unfold. I, I am looking forward to it. I think you're going to... There's going to be some news, either good or bad, real soon here um, as this ASP meeting unfolds in Hawaii. Yeah, and it'll take... I, I think it'll take more than a year to shake out, like, how the new ASP looks, you know, so... You know, there was a great quote online, David, that I got from somebody. And there's some... You know, some of these internet forums, there's some really smart... Yeah. intelligent people that have some really witty comments totally and one of them that i got was um a guy wrote in and said let's face it surf industry soft goods success is predicated on fashion and that's no foundation on which to build a sport sort of speaking i would say more to the asp and paul speaker's side of it that we have to move beyond the surf industry soft goods if we're going to grow up and be a real sports entity that people are going to pay attention to yeah and so there's going to be this moment of growing pain this year or two years of growing pains you know mm -hmm. does quicksilver want to throw money at this yeah i don't know i don't think any company wants to throw money at anything but is it a good investment is right. there a return on investment right um i mean with kelly slater being your guy you know who knows you know and oh by the way kelly slater's manager is a big part of this zoc media group yeah, that's questionable. And by the way, Paul Speaker was on the board at Quicksilver as well. Yeah. Previously. Well, they, they so. asked Paul to come in and fix that New York event. Paul yeah. came in and basically saved the day from what I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of weird drama. But Andy Mooney wasn't involved then. Right. He was with Disney, I think. Disney. It's yeah. all agreed by people who don't surf. Real surfers have no desire for the sport to be further developed. Yeah. Who's, who's that quote <laughs> This from? guy, Smack Daddy. <laughs> Smack Daddy said that on the surfer forum. It actually makes... I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. That, smart guy. The real surfers <laughs> have no desire for the sport. While it's fun to watch the webcast, no non-surfer is going to tune in day after day for five days or more, often in the middle of the night to watch. The more that the ASP markets to the masses, the more they will lose. One of the truest statements ever made by a clothing company, only a surfer knows the feeling. It's yeah. just fun to watch it all play out. Yeah. Um, I didn't say that, by the way, for the record. That's from an anonymous internet hater. <laughs> Known as Smack Daddy. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, Duke or Kook? Yeah, so what is Duke or Kook, man? We've never done this before. Okay, well, um, in the past, I've had a Duke or Kook segment where, David, you pick a Duke, a guy that you think is worthy of Duke Kahanamoku's status for the week, if, if there is such a thing. And, um, of course, kook is the guy that's the biggest kook for the week. And I'll go ahead and start it off. My Duke, my Duke Kahanamoku for the week is Brad Gerlach, who, yes, a round of applause for Brad, who, who really uh, impressed me and I think the surfing world. He's, I think he's 47 or 48 years old. 
and he surfed really, really well. And so he is my Duke. Now, my kook of the week is also Brad Gerlach for and sitting in that round one heat and just not doing a thing, not paddling for a wave. Just all of us were sitting there with our hands underneath our legs, uh, sitting on our hands, waiting for Brad to do something. And he just sort of didn't do anything. So he is both my Duke and my Kook. Has this ever happened before in Duke versus Kook? I think it has. Oh, I has think, it? I think in the past I've, I've oh, awarded dang. this to the same guy. I was getting ready to call the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. Still no. Yeah. We just set a new record today. Um, yeah. So does your buddy Brad listen to this show? I doubt it. Okay, good. I doubt it. I good. think only people in Canada listen to this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm, I've got mixed feelings about Brad. I agree with you with his surfing. Like whenever I remember seeing video parts in the 90s and stuff where it's just like, dude, the guy shreds and he's got a lot of style, which I appreciate. But unfortunately, I follow him on Instagram. Why is that unfortunate? Oh my God, dude. Too many food posts or what? Oh, food posts. Not really food posts. Selfies galore <laughs> and fashion fashion stuff galore. That's Brad, man. He's dude. a fashion icon. He's a, Is he? He's in his own mind? Well, I mean, he's always been, um, a, he's had style beyond the water. Let's put it that way. He's always sort of changed his thing. And, um, okay. you know, I, I look at it like, you know what? Let him have his fun with his, with his style. It's, I could never go there. Like the stuff he does is, you, you got to be, you got to be Brad Gerlach to pull that stuff. He only gets away with it if you let him get away with it. And you're giving him a pass right now. <laughs> I am. So I, check this out. You know out. what? It makes life more fun. Just check this out. I want to hate him, but I can't. I feel like... Like, Brad Gerlach is our Johnny Depp. That's how I, like, you look at Johnny Depp and you're like, dude, the guy's wearing four scarves. He has, like, hobo facial hair and designer frames. And, like, I want to... Oh, my God. I want Brad to surf with a scarf on, like a Donovan headscarf, a well, Johnny Depp headscarf. One wouldn't be enough. It needs to be floor... One on your arm. Four length, floor length and three to four of them. Could you imagine but, coming out of the tube and shaking your scarf around? I can imagine Brad doing it. Me too. But anyways, like you watch Johnny and you're like, God, that guy's a douche, dude. When I see him in the public eye, then you hear him interviewed and he believes his crap. Like he believes in those scarves and the designer frame. Like it's not a show for him. You know what I mean? It's his thing. And you got to admire that. I kind of. There's sincerity. I could never passion. do it. Yeah, I could never do it either. And so I'm like, I kind of hate him, but kind of wish I had the balls to just do what I want to you know do. I you know? am comfortable to just wallow in my khakis yeah. and, um, you know, uh, Buster Brown collared shirt. You know, there's something that I like about that. I'm okay with not being the, the fashionista. I'd rather just kind of sit back in the back and watch it all unfold before me. Well, I, and I enjoy, I enjoy the Johnny Depp's of the world and the Brad Gerlach's of the world. The whole fashion thing, it's kind of fun to sit back and watch it. It's not something I can do, and, and I'm okay with that. So maybe you need to be okay with it. Brad's, maybe you're insecure about your own fashion. That could be, and actually. that's where this is manifesting itself. Your insecurity is manifesting itself <sighs> against Brad. I'm feeling a lot of anxiety as you explain this. <laughs> um, but, but I will say, as I go through his Instagram and I get angry, and then I watch him surf in the heat that he actually caught waves in, yeah. and I'm like, well, all is forgiven. Yeah. All can, is forgiven. He can, wear, he can pull it off because he surfs so good. And the wave before, I was getting anxious watching Sonny Garcia do his one turn and everybody, 
ooing and aahing about it and I'm getting angry going, oh, I've seen that turn since the 80s. <laughs> and then I watch Brad and I go, oh wow, I've just mellowed me out. Brad's like a hula dancer. It's all about hand placement, finger placement. Like every little drop of water is, he's concerned with it and he knows what to do with it. So, yeah, no, yeah. I think he surfed brilliantly yeah. on he's a couple of waves. He's got a great style. And it's unfortunate, I would have loved for him to win the world title. Do you know that the year, I think it was, I want to say, was it 89? I don't know. I think it was 89 that he came in second. He was rated number one, the number one surfer in the world for like half the year. So at some point, Who Brad Gerlach to? was, uh, I think, Tom Carroll. Oh, okay. Or, I'm not really sure. Okay. No, Duma Hardman. It might have been Daniel oh, Hardman. Oh, yeah, might yeah. have been. I'm not sure, but... But he was number one in the world for, he was rated and ranked number one in the world for, you know, half the year. Yeah. Anyway. Always a bridesmaid. Here's my story about Brad. We were in seventh grade camp together, going to Catalina Island. We were on a bus and he was just this like punk nosed kid with this town and country hat. And he was just looked like, he looked like Spicoli basically. And he would, he was so focused and he, I know that I sat next to him and he looked at me and he goes, you know what? I'm going to be a professional surfer. And this was like between sixth and seventh grade. And I was just like, whatever, dude, you know? And so I give him a lot of kudos for having that vision, you know, being a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid. And he went out and did it. Yeah. If he was modern day, he would easily be... I mean, uh, Craig Anderson is kind of living that same dream that Brad maybe wasn't able to fully live back in those days where... He had to go out and compete in order to make a living, you know? If he came around now as that 13-year-old, they would have been like, dude, you keep wearing that hat and those designer frames and we'll just pay you hundreds yeah. of thousands yeah. of dollars a year. Exactly. You're just our like free surfer dude. Yeah. You don't You're have to Craig compete. Anderson. Yeah. yeah. Just keep posting those selfies on Instagram. Yeah, just keep yeah, exactly. So well, he's got some new brand that you've seen on Instagram. Yeah. Banks brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no. look out for Banks brand. Brad, we're pumping you right here, okay, buddy? All the best, Brad. What uh, is your must-see No, 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 Coop. Duke oh, and Kook, oh, dude? Oh, I, Come on. Kook and Duke. Sorry, I really brother. prepared for my Kook and Duke, right. dude, so I got to deliver. Right. Um, Duke, Shane Dorian, without a doubt. He paddled into Massive Jaws on November 13th and then was in the commentary booth the very next morning at the Reef Hawaiian Pro. His no-nonsense style of commentary or commentary and insight into competition and all manner of wave riding uh, is eclipsed by few. Perhaps none, actually. It sounds um, like you read that from a piece of paper. <laughs> no, dude, this is this is my passion for Shane Dorian. As I think it's, I think you nailed it. Without I, a I doubt, I, I love what you read. It's good. You I would it. I would argue further that last year at the Pipe Masters he beat Kelly Slater in the quarterfinals. However, the judges gave it to Slater to intensify the world title battle between a conspiracy Parker. theorist. It just is what it is. I was watching that heat. It was all eights and nine. Yeah. Yeah, eights and nines. It was a great heat. Yeah, and it came down to like fractions of a point, but it was clear that Shane back Dorian won it, but they gave it to Kelly. If you're going to beat the champ, you got to do it definitively. So he didn't. I agree with that too. At 41 years old, Shane is in the best shape of his life. He's a bow hunter, a truly accomplished outdoorsman. He is a Hawaiian. Maybe we should vote for him for the adventurer of the year in National Geographic over Greg Long. He kind of got snubbed. We could write him in. Yeah, he got snubbed for sure. He's the manliest of all men, yet he, <laughs> yet he never boasts nor displays it with aggression. He exudes aloha, and after all, what could be more Duke than that? 
That's a, a, a great commentary. And you absolutely nailed it. And I think the most important part of that commentary for me is that he has a sense of humility, mm. which I think is rare in, yeah. in you know, the world of big egos and, and big fame and big money and big surf. Yeah. So uh, I applaud your Duke. Kudos to Shane Dorian. You are my Kook of the Week. Or my Duke of the Week, rather. Whoa, slip up. Slip up. Duke as in Kahanamoku. Well, because I'm leading into the kook of the week. Uh-oh. It's not me, is it? It could no. be me. If you thought that rant was bad. Uh-oh. <laughs> I've got a full page written about this person. Oh, Look at it. Oh, my God. It, David's got like three or four paragraphs or more huh, about this kook. Who's your kook? Well, I brought a scroll. A scroll. <laughs> Roll it right, out. Who's your kook okay. of the week? Kook of the week, lack of professionalism in our fair sport. It's not a person. It has to be a person. There are no, Just so you know, no. For, no, I'm giving no, no, you no. rules. For next time, I need per, I need a person. One person, one person. Hear one. me out. Okay. Lack of professionalism is the kook of the week. It began months ago, perhaps years actually. But earlier this week when I was watching the Reef Hawaiian Pro, they were doing one of their trivia contests to give away gear. They put up a slide on the screen and it had a trivia question which, which referred to the famous break, the Bonsai Pipeline. I tried to answer that, by the way. Did you? Yeah. Did you notice? I got it wrong. Did you notice that they misspelled bonsai? I, I think I did notice that. Yeah, it was spelled B-A-N-Z-I. Uh, That's Australian for Banzi, mate. <laughs> um, the ASPWorldTour.com posted an article about the event, um, and they were talking about who we talked about, which is Morocco's Ramsey Bukayam, as the standout surfer of the day. He posted a 10-point ride, but they misspelled the word Morocco as... That's a hard word to spell. It's on a map, and it's on it's on the exact device that you're writing the article. If you open a new tab, you can find it in five seconds. They they misspelled it as M A R. Harken back to the Rip Curl Pro. By the way, it's spelled M A R in Morocco. It's oh, called Morocco. Crap. Just so you know, when you're in Morocco, it's spelled M A R O C Morocco. Okay, well they misspelled it M A R the English o -C -C -O. version C C O. Okay. So they misspelled it both ways. Okay. Double, double whammy. On double whammy. Harken back to the Rip Curl Pro Panish. Taylor Knox was in the booth calling the heat with Kelly Slater where he lost to Fre uh, Frederico Marai or Marias. Yeah. He was referring to him as Francisco Morales. <laughs> That's a boxer. Isn't that like a professional Maybe boxer? Maybe it is. Francisco Morales, I think, is a professional boxer. Maybe it is. And really? um, <laughs> Quicksilver on a recent Instagram with Matt Banting... Uh, featuring a photo of Matt Banning, who, who? I, exactly, who I commented <laughs> on earlier, used the word, uh, misspelled the, the word a lot, or the two words, and they misspelled it A-L-L-O-T. I've been stirring about this for some time. Um, and honestly, at first, I just chalked it up to me being annoyed and critical. But honestly, each time I see one of these errors, it bugs me and yeah. it bothers me. Yeah. And I'm not searching for the errors, but they're so egregious that I can't not see them. Yeah. So I felt inclined to discuss them in past shows, but honestly, I didn't want to bring it up because it's, I don't want to just bring up some complaint without a solution. Yeah. However, they've quietly been festering. I guess. The festering has grown, as <laughs> festering often does. <laughs> yes, it And has. it's erupted into a breakthrough in clarity for me. Okay. So here it is. Yes. Surfing for me. The yes. act of surfing, the consumption of surf media in form of me, uh, video, magazines, whatever, mm -hmm. it's gratifying on a lot of different levels. On the most cursory level, 
it's superficially gratifying. With beautiful imagery, the sheer act of riding a wave, it just feels good. Stimulates the senses, gets the adrenaline pumping. Surfing showcases sexy people doing dangerous things and fun things, and that's superficially gratifying. But as I've grown older, I've developed uh, my surfing has developed and it's provided me with more intellectual gratification that outweighs and long outlasts the superficiality that I enjoyed in my youth. Surfing is without question and beyond measure the most rich, layered, sophisticated thing in my life. When I see the largest brands, the governing body of professional surfing and one of our surfing heroes misrepresent, misspell, mislabel basic information, it highlights a core flaw in our sport in, in our sports industry. That is superficiality carries more value than intellect. Spicoli is our mascot and we're all riding his wave. Matt Banning's air reverse on Instagram will sell more wetsuits than the caption will. So never mind the grammar. Even though Frederico Marai or Moraes is having the most important performance of his career in his home country and is a hero to the rest of Western Europe, our icon commentator is referring to him as Francisco Morales. Is that so wrong? <laughs> it is. It is. All right. Well, let me this ask you. This is quite a rant. Let my me friend. ask you. Is the intern at Quicksilver? Is it the intern at Quicksilver's fault for misspelling the word on Instagram? Yes, it is. It's also Taylor Knox's fault for calling Frederico by the wrong name. It would take very minimal amount of research to properly do your job for which you are being paid. But more importantly, it's Quicksilver's fault that they didn't catch the mistake and delete the Instagram post. And as of today, it's still on their account from five weeks ago. It's the producer's fault at the Rip Curl Pro and Panish for not correcting Taylor Knox after his infraction. He's wearing an earpiece they can communicate with him. And in fact, Joe Turpel was sitting in with him and he tried to correct Taylor Knox by correctly pronouncing Frederico's name throughout the conversation, but Knox never caught the cue. I give you this quote by Frank Zappa. Most rock journalism is by people who can't write, interviewing people who can't talk for people who can't read. Are we 40 years behind the trend that, that Frank Zappa saw in the music industry? The surfing public isn't stupid. Big, the big brand marketing gurus at the ASP treat us as though we are. Their growth has stalled, tons of employees have lost their job, and everyone is currently scrambling to find a solution. The mistreatment of surfing's core customer base is the problem. I argue that a bit of decorum, hard work, and thoughtfulness will right this ship, but not without sincerity. That is why lack of professionalism is my kook of the week. Well Woo! done. Well done. Well Jeez done. Louise. Very well done. I, um, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm it, not going to... I think everything you said it is... For me, for the record, David yes. Lee Scales is an extremely professional human, and I'm not being sarcastic or, or uh, teasing. No. You are a professional person. Well, thank you. I think, honestly, though, that... I'm the guy that misspells stuff. <laughs> That's what I have a problem with. Basically, what you're saying is that I'm your kook of the week. No, but fine. I just think that the industry at large you're right. you know needs you're to, right. if we want to grow, we got to keep tabs on that stuff. And there if, are many, though, that would say, you know what? Screw the industry. So what if it doesn't grow? It has nothing to do with my enjoyment of surfing. The enjoyment that you mentioned at the beginning that layers your life. Catching a wave has nothing to do with Taylor Knox and his spelling. No, but I think that the community of surfers is smart. 
and that they're informed and they're educated. Well, and you need to treat some stupid them. ones too. True, but you need to treat them as such. You can't treat them all as Spicoli. You need to give them accurate information because honestly, I'm offended by some of the information that I'm getting and by one of our icons. I agree. There's a lot that needs to be changed. You know what I mean? There's a lot that I think social media is going to change. Yeah. I and think you'll you're... be pleasantly surprised when they're... But you're right. I mean, it. Yeah. Th that's sort of been um, just okay in the way we do things. It's been kind of in the quote unquote, that's just the way we do things. Correct. We're Spicoli. But I think... Subliminally, subconsciously, the Spicoli thing is who we are. But I, I do think that the fan base has become more educated and grown over the years in terms of intellect and capacity for knowledge and, sure. and desire for knowledge. Sure. And you need to address that if you want to move the, the business forward. You and know? you've done a good job of doing that. You've addressed it. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Dude, that was the gnarliest kook ever. Was that From too much? On, no, no. You, I love it. You okay, know what? Cool. I think you did good. However, in the... Next time, let's keep com let's have a commentary section and let's keep Kook and Duke in this little thing where it's just a person. Eight minutes into that spiel, I started to question it. <laughs> it's a good commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might start off the whole segment, the whole show with your commentary. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I think it's good. Cool, man. Um, and it needs to be said. And I'm not going to say it. Hell, I won't write that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, you did I good. Didn't, I didn't write anything, dude. That was all from... That was my good. brain on the spot. No, I know you, were, dude. That was a, that was like a double cup of that was like a double latte, and you just went off. Triple, triple latte went off. Hey, um, must see moment. Must see moment. There's a Foot Locker. It's called the Week of Greatness video. It's a Foot Locker. You just YouTube Foot Locker Week of Greatness. I think it's got Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and Dennis Rodman and others in this really clever um, advertisement video clip. Good stuff. I'll leave it at that. Go check it out. You'll enjoy the heck out of it. My must-see moment was the Bat Kid. Oh, yeah. Did you see it? I, I, I half noticed it. I didn't follow the whole thing. But. So I think people in California maybe saw the news story. Um, obviously, our listener in Canada probably didn't and listeners elsewhere. But basically, the Make-A-Wish Foundation made a wish come true for a kid who has leukemia. And um, the city of San Francisco got together to be a part of that. And basically... He wanted to be Batman. So they dressed him up as Batman. They set up a series of stunts throughout the city. They got professional actors to play the Joker, the Riddler, and drove him around with a big Batman in a Lamborghini all day. Um, Was there a cat girl? I didn't see one. Catwoman? <laughs> yeah, Catwoman. I didn't see one. Cat but, nanny. But it was cool things like they, um, the joke, the Riddler was robbing a bank. So the Bat Kid went in there and like trapped him in the vault, you know? Awesome. And uh, yeah, it was That's super cool. cool. I mean, tens of thousands of people came out and supported and like cheered him on the sidelines and stuff. That's awesome. The parents were overwhelmed by the whole oh, thing. Yeah. So I'll post a YouTube video. I love, I love stories like that. That's yeah, great. I'll post a video, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Check that out. Yeah, and all my stuff will be on downthelineradio.com. Um, best song ever. Yeah, best song ever. Do you ever. got one? Dude, I got the best song ever. No, you do not, because I have the best song ever. No, Hold on. Not a chance. You thought the Allman Brothers are good. I'm going to play mine first, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, please. This is the best song ever. And I just want you to go ahead and turn it up, close your eyes, listen to this. Guitar's too good for feeling women. I don't need my name in the marquee lights. Best song ever. I got my song and I got you with me tonight. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. 
<laughs> Come on, David. Successful life we're living. Hank Williams' pain songs and Jerry's train songs. Blue eyes crying in the rain. Who sings it? This is Waylon Jennings with Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. Well, let's keep it that way, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I fell for that. Man, this is the best song ever. So. Wow. Waylon. You really... Willie and Waylon. You want to commit to that? Hell yeah. Best song ever, right there. Dude, that one minute and 13 seconds took longer than my eight minute spiel. <laughs> I just can't. I know there will be some haters. Nonetheless, best song ever. Luke and Bach, Texas. Waylon Jennings. Go ahead. I like Willie and Waylon, dude. I'm cool with it. All right. Um, I got the best song ever for you. I'm sure you do. And, I uh, doubt that greatly. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain why as well. I don't need an explanation. Well, just play the song. Oh, here it comes. A boy's born in Hawthorne, Mississippi. What's your explanation? Turn it up. Dude, His parents give him love and affection to keep him strong, moving in the right direction, living just enough, just enough for the city. Boom! Alright. Stevie Wonder. Alright. Here's why. Everything has to have an explanation. <laughs> We're doing a talk show, by the way. <laughs> Dude, it's just the best song ever because of the song. I mean, it is the best song ever because Stevie Wonder entirely composed, produced, and plays every instrument on the track. Beautiful song, gritty social commentary, defies genre. Is it modern blues? Is it jazz? Is it R&B? It's everything. Lastly, it's a compelling story. I, I agree with me, Scott. All right. Well, I, I like it that you've thought it through. And, do you like uh, Stevie Wonder? I do. Dude, I think, Stevie, and I think that's a great song. If I had one artist for the rest of my life, it'd be Stevie Wonder. That's a tough one. That's like which board, if you could only ride one board for the rest of your life. You can only have one artist, musical artist. Let me guess who yours is. Go ahead. Almond Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, you know, there, there's a few. I would probably be the Rolling Stones. Really? Yeah. I'd say more. I mean, if I only could listen to one. They got more diversity than the Allman Brothers. Allman Brothers, you yeah. know, jam band. Yeah, when you when you think about the portfolio of work yeah. that the Rolling Stones have. But I could also say, you know, I, I might throw Neil Young in there or. Squeal, dude. Or, um, I mean, you, I would throw the Beatles in there. Like, that could be, you know, like. Yeah, except tough, Stevie tough Wonder one. would be hard to beat with all those examples, but. Yeah, whatever. Whatever guy. Whatever. Um, I think that's about it. We've had a great show. Um, Downthelineradio.com. You can email Scott at surftalksandiego at gmail.com and my website blog, downthelineradio.com. And um, email David or Scott. We'd appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, David's at hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then also on social media, of course, engage in there. I would argue or just say continue any of the conversations that we had here. It's not just between Scott and I. It's We want to include everybody. So get involved on social media. You could do that at surfsplendor for me, David. Yeah, and I'm um, at boardroomshow is my Instagram. 
And my Twitter is a little different, unfortunately. It's at Boardroom Surf. So yeah, we'd like to hear who your kook or duke is, or as David said, um, continue the conversation. Send us show topics, too, for next week. Yeah. Or whenever we get together next. Next week would be good. All right, until next week, um, adios and aloha. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Just a reminder, everything that we discussed in this show is posted on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can come there. We'll link to all the articles, embed all the videos that we discussed. And so, um, you know, the show goes on online. So, And feel free to continue the conversation there as well. There's a comment section on this show's page. So leave feedback and um, show ideas, whatever. And then, of course, you could do the same on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Um, at Surf Splendor is where you can find us. All right, we will be back on Monday with an episode featuring a legendary surfboard shaper, Rich Harbor. So look forward to that. I will talk to you guys then. Thanks so much. Bye.